actually off to the Sounders versus LA Galaxy match on Sunday night. Whoa! Go Team Sounders! Yeah! That's 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 how it goes, right? Yeah, uh, well, in the uh, the MLS Western Conference playoff <laughs> second leg MLS Cup thing that they have. So they finished the, the regular season, the Sounders finished top of the Western Conference, um, just ahead of LA Galaxy. In fact, they had the best record overall. So in the Eastern Conference, uh, New England Revolution beat New York Red Bulls in the uh, Eastern Conference playoff final. So whoever wins this match and Sounders are 1-0 down from the first leg will go to the Soccer Ball Cup final in the uh, the US of A. And massive uh, a prize to any Wankast listeners still listening at this point in the show. Yeah, so what I've seen of MLS football to date is uh, it's about, I don't know, lower half of the championship standard, if that. Uh, the top scorer in the MLS at the moment is Bradley Wright Phillips, who I think was last seen being released by Brentford or something like that so that gives you some kind of idea about the standard but still there's 60,000 people going so it should be a good experience yeah absolutely and I think it's like brilliant for someone like Bradley Wright Phillips that must be really cool like you've struggled to build a career and then suddenly you're the top scorer in MLS which is you know well attended and I'm sure it's not paid and well paid by European standards but it's well paid by having a job standards isn't it and I bet he's having a whale of a time so someone who is really well paid is is Wayne Rooney (laughs) and he he had another fine game for United against Hull Rooney 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 welcome to the Rooney cast where we support Captain Waza heart and soul uh, he was good wasn't he? he he's currently writing out his new contract demands and uh, <laughs> yeah we'll see, we'll see how long he's still at the club City in January you reckon yeah it could, could be yeah. I don't think it's coincidental though that Rooney's return to form has come with a, a, a slightly different move for him you know he played up front for England for a couple of games and then he basically started the game at number 9 didn't he against Hull and played right up top in the previous game as well so He's in one of those bursts of scoring form, but it's. I think it's it's kind of come with him being pushed a bit further forward. Uh, absolutely, uh, and and it's been lovely to see him sort of so effective in terms of his personal contribution to the games. But I also think, you know, we we talked a lot about his captaincy and you know being quite uncomfortable with the idea of Rooney as captain. But actually, he's he's keeping his head with remarkable, I think we talked a bit about this after the Arsenal game, but he really is keeping his head in a way that he never really has before. He's not yelling and screaming at everyone. He is leading by example. The last the last two games have been proper captain's performances and his goal was superb, wasn't it? Great finish, yeah. Lovely layoff by Robin Van Persie and uh, really slammed it into the corner. Maybe he's maturing into the role. We'll see. I'm always loath to make a judgment based on a couple of performances. And with Rooney, we know they come in bursts. So um, if he plays like this from now until the end of the season, then, you know, we'll we'll have all been proven wrong and maybe Rooney isn't on the downslope and he's a real player again. But, you know, for the here and now, he's been excellent over the last three or four games, hasn't he? He has. And, and I think the distinct feature of Hull, the game against Hull, was that it was an absolutely spectacular team performance we were having a chat just before recording and looked up the numbers and and Manchester United had 77% possession in that game and and the the most surprising thing about that stat is it's almost not that surprising I was chatting with a couple of people after the game 
and uh, in the ground you would have guessed 70 to 80 percent somewhere like that because United's dominance of that game was absolutely complete. Massive shout out at this point to the guy sat a row behind me who kept going about what a rubbish manager Van Gaal was and saying, oh, Di Maria's off injured, he's brought on a defensive midfielder. Under Herrera, not not really a defensive midfielder, and, and actually... No, Herrera, who was absolutely superb in the, the time he was on the pitch, him and Carrick, looked like a proper midfield for United. I mean, when's the last time we could have said that? Yeah, you, you talked about United's dominance, and it's very true. United were completely dominant, dominant in possession, dominant in where they had the possession, a lot of it around Hull's box, so you know, nearly 200 passes in the final third. Dominant defensively, I mean, it's a very easy game for United's defence uh, with the returning Marcus Rojo. Dominant up front, and there's very good movement, much of it orchestrated by, by Carrick and, and Herrera in deeper areas. And then Juan Mata, who was brilliant, wasn't he, in in the attacking third. A lot of it went through him. He was. The the, the one not brilliant thing about Juan Mata was just that he got knocked off the ball a few times, as as he does. The other player, you said we've got a proper midfield and, and uh, got to have a destroyer in a proper midfield, haven't you? And Maron Fellaini, again, really, really excellent. Like, really. Really excellent performance from from Fellaini. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but he looks transformed. And and you know, when I was getting stupidly giddy at the beginning of the season about Van Gaal, this is why. Because look look what he's done to our average players. You know, they are all playing out of their skins. I think neither Valencia nor Young had a poor game. Uh, Chris Morning was good again. You know, these are the players that have been suffering recently and, and Van Gaal is currently, and it was only against Hull, but he, he got another level out of them. Yeah, Fellaini had another very good game. Uh, funny thing is, after we recorded last week's podcast, I had a, another sort of re-look at Fellaini's performance because there was something in the back of my mind that uh, nagged at me that perhaps he wasn't quite as good as we waxed lyrical about on last week's pod and then came to it and... And, uh, you know, kind of reconcluded that he wasn't actually that good last week. I think he was better this week. He put a lot of passes together. He was very effective with Antonio Valencia. So he was the man that, that picked the ball up from that sort of right-hand side. Uh, passed quite a few times to Carrick and, and Mata safely. Carrick, of course, who had more than 100 passes uh, in the match. Good to see that stat back on the uh, the picture again. So I thought Fellaini was better this week than last week. Sure. I saw your kind of uh, reanalysis of Fellaini last week and I agreed with most of it, but he was also crucial in that game. Like It, it might not have been a perfect personal performance, but he made some very crucial interventions in that game, not least of which the ball that released Di Maria for the pass to Rooney for the goal. But yeah, he he was really good again. Basically, you know, there was nobody at all in United side that that played badly. The only downside about that game was, of course, Di Maria pulling up with injury. And man, I was so I was sat right in the corner by the Stretford end, uh, the opposite corner to the tunnel, and so I just had like a perfect view of that happening in the middle of the pitch and. It was just, he did a lovely little skill to beat beat a player and, you know, the whole place was like the, the excitement of Di Maria. He, he'd started with such purpose and then to see him pull up and you just think, oh my goodness, what is going on at this point? Fortunately, um, you know, it didn't miss him at all in this game and hopefully he'll be back for the games where we would actually miss him. Yes, well, hamstring, it could be anything from a couple of weeks to a couple of months, of course, depending on the seriousness of it it doesn't seem to be too bad fortunately and and Luke Shaw of course you know out until nearly the new year so 
couple of our many left footers out there for a little a little while. We'll see we'll see how bad it is with Di Maria. A real shame, isn't it? But a player coming back from an injury, Radamel Falcao got a few minutes at the end. Um, interesting to see him back, isn't it? Uh, maybe that put a bit of pressure on Van Persie as well, because Van Persie, who many people had talked about as as potentially being forced out of the side, famously only had, what, 13 touches the week before. But a decent performance for United from Van Persie, starting off in that kind of deeper role and, and being pushed forward later in the game. And what did you make of... of yeah, Robin, is he is he back now? I don't know if he's back, but he's closer to being back than he's been for ages. Uh, there was a there was a number of things that happened in that game. Firstly, he almost replicated his magic goal against Spain, which yep. is amazing. Almost, almost, he was fractionally offside and and keeper much better placed uh, this time. But there was a sense, I think, that he was sort of improved a bit. And his goal was really interesting because, first of all, he was it was excellent to see him do that fine layoff to Rooney for Rooney's goal because, first of all, it's then to playing together which we like to see because it's not always been the case um, you know, playing well together uh, and also I think we talked a lot about his movement but the thing that was confusing me most about Van Persie is why his all round game had seemed to fallen apart as well as his movement which he sort of could understand but his hold up play seemed to really be struggling and stuff anyway uh, just before his goal, he had a little attempt and it hadn't gone great. And then the Stratford ended all sung his name. And as he seems to do almost every time that happens, he looked at the Stratford and gave a little wave and a kind of clap. But this is in the middle of the game. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Not not too many players do that. But you could see it lift him and the goal came seconds later. You know, it was really interesting. It was like there'd been this genuine moment of interaction and then there was this remarkable goal and of course then his name rings down off the terraces and it's beautiful sound and then when when the substitution happened even though Falcao had been getting cheers every time he you know getting a lot of lows every time he's running up and down the touchline uh, so people were excited to see Falcao back it was it was Van Persie who was heralded as he walked off the pitch right and then then Falcao's chance started after that which I just thought was a very nice touch because Van Persie needs love this is he is clearly a player that needs to be loved and I think that was one of the components of his problematic performance against Arsenal was that he was so unloved in that ground at that moment mm. well perhaps so yeah I mean he still didn't get the ball much 20 passes overall 19 successful I'd, I'd take that over two out of three passes successful though yeah yeah no, completely and uh, you know so yeah much neater and and uh, as I said from that deeper position so quite clearly operating from a sort of number 10 role with really pushed up top alongside Di Maria for the first part of the game and um, and it was an interesting tactical switch from Van Gaal he's obviously trying to get the best out of his players he's trying to find a the right kind of combination uh, of all these dynamic players that he's got so you know Di Maria uh, Mata, Van Persie and Rooney all starting in that game I haven't seen that too often I don't think this season and just he's just trying to find the right balance and it seemed to work in this game of course it was switched around when Di Maria went off so Herrera came on played a bit deeper I suppose Fellaini pushed on a little bit but it still worked as a combination and Van Persie pushed further forward as the game wore on I suppose and he also seemed to run out of steam which was another sort of facet of his play so you know you kind of left with this feeling whether Robin's really fully truly fit whether he can really put in the the miles anymore what's going on you said he needs to be loved and I think that's true he is a confidence player that whose confidence was destroyed by David Moyes 
or by Ferguson's retirement. Uh, you know, two sides of the same coin there. But you know, I, I was left feeling that that Van Persie has a big contribution to make to United. Still has the class to score the kind of goal he did. You know, flick it between the player's leg and and then slam it in but isn't anywhere near the top of his game at the moment. No, absolutely. And and we'll come on to it with a couple of previews, but there are some fascinating decisions ahead if Falcao is fit and firing. Falcao's cameo was, um, as Paul Gunning said to me after the match, Falcao's cameo was slightly unfortunate because everyone else had given up by the time he came. Everyone else was like, oh yeah, we're free now, we've won this. And he was like running around absolutely desperate to score. And there's one point where he slipped the ball through to Mata and, and Mata should have just shot but he obviously knew how badly Falcao wanted a goal so he, he slid it into Falcao and Dawson was able to get back and, and cover and then Falcao tried to just kick it in through Dawson <laughs> somehow didn't work just sheer enthusiasm but it looked for a second like the the magical return was going to happen and he he does need regular games and he needs to settle down because he's pushing himself too hard and you can't do that when you first of all strikers push themselves too hard it's a disaster anyway right um and secondly given all the injuries and that that's uh, the last thing he needs is to be kind of anxious and, and overstretching and all that kind of thing. Uh, yes, that's true. Um, I mean, look, he clearly wants to do well, doesn't he? And he's had a, a very unfortunate start to his time at United. You know, two two injuries and in and out of the side, not being able to find any rhythm, and the tactical makeup has changed every time he's played as well. So, look, very difficult first few months in Manchester for Falca. He's desperate to do well. The fans love him already which is interesting really because he's not really done anything to to gain that love yet but uh, you know he's had loads of support uh, and you're right he's going to make um, for an interesting decision if he's now ready you said that everyone had given up and and that was a kind of remarkable feature after Van Persie scored in something like the 65th minute so we've got you know nearly half an hour of the game to go and it went completely flat didn't it you know just so dominant uh, happy just to keep the ball Hull had absolutely nothing in their locker David De Gea didn't make a save until well into the game. I didn't need to make a save, and and it was just really easy. Kind of a shame, I thought, that United took the foot off the gas so much. I kind of, but also, given the injury crisis and given that there's a game on Tuesday night, it's actually probably just very sensible game management and squad management and season management not to really kind of throttle Hull at that point. Maybe you could say there's a knock against it because of potential goal difference things, but apart from that, I thought it was it was very professional, sensible performance from United. Yeah, so in the coming days, Stoke at Old Trafford on Tuesday night, which is an interesting one. Stoke, who, who've been doing all right this season, Hughes is trying to transform their their kind of tactical makeup from pure long ball to something a bit more mixed and. But they uh, they went ahead and, and lost at Anfield. So that kind of puts it into context how bad they might be. <laughs> yeah, they must be rubbish then, right? That's uh, clearly the case. They conceded a goal to Glenn Johnson, the man who would put his head where other people wouldn't put his feet, it would appear. Well, yeah, so that was a grudge match for 11th and 12th place, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, to go from Steve Bruce, a man who is uh, just so in love with Manchester United, it's ridiculous. Like after the game, basically, like he just turns up to have his tummy tickled at United, and then gets to say in the post-match interview, "Well, if you come to a place like this, you know, you've got to do, you've got to be on your best if you come to a place like this." It's like, come on, Steve. This is this is not the ground that you played at, son. You could you could have given us a game if you'd gone for it. Although actually, I'm not sure they could have given us a game if they'd gone for it, really, because 
I don't know how much of that was Hull being terrible versus United being good. And of course, it's always a bit of both, isn't it? But Yeah, well, Hull were properly terrible. I'll I, I tell you what, I'd be willing to put money on Stoke not being anywhere near as terrible. So Yeah, for sure. If you look, you look at the players they've got, they've got plenty of competitive players. And Zonzi and Sidwell will give United a game in, in the centre and midfield. Uh, and Walter, as you know, will run forever. And in Kerchic or Bojan... Uh, and do if they've got some attacking talent, right? So they they're they're a team that a I don't think will give up in the way that Hull did because uh, uh, Hull were really quite pathetic in that in that respect. Uh, and b have got some tools to cause United problems. I, I don't expect them to come to Old Trafford and win, but if United stroll through a game against Stoke in the way they did against Hull, I'll be surprised. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Although Stoke's run of form recently is actually fairly dismal in that they yep. uh, they lost to Liverpool before that, they lost to Burnley, they beat Tottenham away, but, you know, really at the Everyone moment, beats Tottenham. Yeah, it's not much of an achievement. They drew two all with West Ham at home. Actually, that's not maybe such a bad result as it looks because of how good West Ham have been. They lost to Southampton, and then we, we're now at the beginning of October when they, they beat Swansea. And, and But also they did lose to Sunderland at Sunderland. So it, it's been a very, very up and down season for Mark Hughes and Stoke. And you know, they've already lost to Leicester, for example. It's, it's just, I don't think we can talk about losing to Leicester. No, quite. The, but the cliche about Stoke just doesn't apply anymore, right? That's the, the, the thing. They, they, they aren't... They aren't Stoke, and this is not Tony Pulis's Stoke. They're a, they're a sort of different proposition. No, it's not. They are a different proposition, and, and as I said, Hughes is trying to evolve that side, but they're still competitive. You know, they have lost a lot of games this season, and uh, they're not in a good position in terms of the points tally. But but then again, you know, they're only five off the Champions League places, and and five off the relegation places. You know, so it's quite tight in the middle of the Premier League table there. I think they'll come to United and give United a bit of a game. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, five through the midfield and, and they'll try and be competitive. And talking of through the midfield, uh, another formation from Van Gaal. Two formations, really, in the space of one game in that one. And it'll be interesting to see when the three-five-two next makes an appearance and how many games in a row we're going to play four at the back now. I think it's going to be a few, but we'll see. We'll see whether... He gives Southampton the five at the back treatment. We'll see. I mean, everyone looks more comfortable in a four at the moment. And, yeah. uh, you know, whether that's just time, having played the system, the type of players we've got um, it, at the moment, it just it's easier for them to slot into that four. I mean, one thing I would say is that it's still not clear what Van Hull wants this side to be. And, you know, tactical flexibility is, is great and he wants his players to be intelligent enough to do that. He wants them to play in a variety of different positions. I mean, Ashley Young basically started left-back yesterday. and um, So, you know, that, that is fine, but is there a cost here of inconsistency as a result? And, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but it appears, uh, though, that might be the case. But I, And I, I think what Van... I mean, uh, Maybe he wouldn't say this, but I suspect Van Gaal might say, yes, inconsistency is part of it at first, you know, uh, as the philosophy gets drilled in. And he was he was very full of beans after that game. And he said he thought that might be the game, you know, because he's been talking about a turning point in the season for a long time. So so what would you call yesterday's formation? I mean, it, it's a sort of 4-3-3, but in reality, Van Persie was much deeper than Rooney and Di Maria. Is it a 4-3-1-2? 
Uh, I mean, I, I figure it's just the diamond, right? By It's just a slightly asymmetric diamond. It's certainly, after Di Maria went off, Herrera was playing on the left of the diamond, Fellaini on the right, and Mata at the, the peak, uh, and Rooney and Van Persie were... I mean, in the second half, I think maybe Van Persie was more a number nine than Rooney, but they were playing as a front two. So I think it was basically an asymmetric diamond, broadly speaking. Are you trying to get all uh, hipster tactical on us, Paul? <laughs> I would be bad at that. I would be bad at mm. that. Um, that's, you know, that's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? Very good. Well, uh, something similar will probably turn up against Stoke. Uh, I think especially Di Maria out and Valencia playing it right back. Uh, Rafael is joining training this week. I don't think he'll make the Stoke game, but he is on the way back. That gives United a few different options, doesn't it? Um, interesting that Young started at left back. I suppose the other option would have been Tyler Blackett, although Van Hull seems very reluctant to use Blackett as a left back. And Rojo, Rojo, I think played one game at left back so far. Two, but yeah, it's not. No, yeah, he played against. He played very well there against QPR and very terribly there against Leicester. Right. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. So yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, Young was okay, wasn't he, in that position? <laughs> Young and Valencia <laughs> as United's fullbacks. I mean, it doesn't quite seem right, does it? I think. I think this is where it's like. It's so easy to get carried away when you watch your team be absolutely brilliant, but this is where you have to do the reality check thing of how bad Hull are that Young and Valencia are basically untroubled as fullbacks. Yeah, completely. And and typically, El Mohamedi would be a player who puts in a lot of crosses, right? You know, he's got bags and bags of pace and he does have a very good delivery of the ball. So he's typically a, a very dangerous outlet for Hull. You know, they play three five two, have done for a couple of seasons now. And on the left-hand side, we've got this Scottish guy, Robertson, who's come up from non-league football and, and been absolutely brilliant for Hull. So, you know, you'd have thought that had been a good outlet for, for Hull and it wasn't on the day. And as a result, Young and Valencia were able to push forward. Carrick sat in there. He was the man that linked defence and attack all the time. Um, and United were basically able to, you know, pile loads of players into midfield and completely swamp Hull all of the time. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we sort of covered the Stoke game, really, except to discuss the decision about the strikers, which the fact that we've got... I mean, the two fixtures are a week apart, the Tuesday night against Stoke and the the following Monday against Southampton. I mean, you wonder if Van Persie was puffing a lot by the end, but you can't drop him after a performance like that, given his confidence has been so shaky, can you? You've got to... You've got to back Van Persie and, and let him play again, I would have thought. Yeah, that's right. And I think Falcao will be on the bench. I mean, I suppose he could play all three of them, has done in the past. I mean, uh, if you look at the type of formation, then you'd have Van Persie or Rooney dropping in, wouldn't you? And the other one playing up front with Falcao, it would replicate the the kind of formation played against Hull. So he could do that. I wonder whether Falcao's quite ready for a full game yet and he's more likely to come on with sort of half an hour to go like he did against Holland. And then, you know, you you have a, a question mark over Herrera. Uh, such a brilliant performance. I, I love him in the United side because he gets United moving the ball all the time, doesn't he? You know, and, and you can't drop Carrick. So it's perhaps a question of Herrera coming in, Mata pushing a little further forward and Herrera and Fellaini and Carrick being that kind of midfield trio and, and perhaps Van Persie and Rooney up front. Except the one thing that he might do is drop Mata for Falcao again. And I think that would be a real shame because of the link-up between Mata and Herrera and Fellaini and yeah. all that stuff and, and to lose Yeah, that. I think United are better balanced with Mata in the side. You know, I, I understand people 
they they want the explosive stuff and and Mata doesn't always give us that but I think he gives United a very nice balance and and so I'd have him in the side and that makes a makes for a very tough decision so if, if Van Persie is on the way back and Rooney is in good form and and you've, you've spent twenty million pounds getting a player for a season. You know you want to play all of them, don't you? But uh, but maybe it doesn't give United quite the right balance. And and you would think that Van Gaal will be holding on to that balance preciously because if we win this, that's four in a row. You know, and it's really starting to build some proper momentum into the season, isn't it? You know, already three three wins on the bounce has totally transformed the atmosphere around the discussion about United. So. To kind of lose on Tuesday night would be a real speed bump in that in that momentum, which would be a, a terrible shame at this point. Well, right, United are developing some momentum now, so it's it you know three wins on the spin there. You'd expect United to beat Stoke on Tuesday night. Of course, that'd be four wins on the spin before going away to Southampton, which will be a tough game, despite uh, being thrashed by City on Sunday. Uh, I'm sure. You know, so you're absolutely right. Van Hal does want to create some momentum. I'd, I'd, it would be nice to see him create some kind of level of consistency around how the the side plays. It, it is completely different from week to week at the moment, both tactics and the outlook. So you know, completely defensive against Arsenal to to seventy odd percent possession against Hull. Obviously, very different games, but uh, it gets this. Uh, it, it builds this feeling that there isn't a strategy and it's it's kind of tactical from week to week. And uh, we haven't quite got to the position where we know what this Manchester United side is yet. But I, I mean, you're absolutely right. But I don't understand how, when that discussion comes up, the bottom line isn't just, well, we've had 42 separate injuries already this season. So there's absolutely no way we could possibly know what the big plan is with a capital P because so much of it has been about crisis management. It has, but wouldn't you argue that if um, there was a... a a tactical plan that he had, a strategy and a way of playing, and a system that he'd like his team to play in, that he'd fit players into that. But so many people have been injured that even if he did have that, he wouldn't. He just d- does not have the pieces to fit into the jigsaw puzzle. I'm not sure that's true, though. So I think in every, um, so many players have been injured, but it's only really at one point there was a peak of of sort of ten players out, right? So. It hasn't been that half his squad, and he's got a 35-man squad or whatever it is, including the younger players. So he's got a lot of resources there. United is not a small squad, unlike, say, Chelsea. And um, I'm not sure he's ever been in a position where he's had to go, I'm compromising the way I want to play in order to play these players. I think he's still experimenting and trying to find the right balance, which is, you know, so I'm not saying uh, there will never be a clear plan under Van Gaal. He's still trying to find it. Yeah, and I don't 100% disagree, but I think, for example, the Arsenal game, I'm not sure he would have played a back three if he'd had different defenders available. And I think the fact that he played a black... like He has not played Blackett in a back four yet, I don't think. Maybe once. So it's like, as soon as... Because the, the defenders were so inexperienced, it's the same thing he did with Holland, that he didn't have enough quality in his defence to play two at the back, so he played three instead as a kind of... to provide extra cover. And I, I, I just can't help wondering whether that we're so down to the bare bones defensively in particular because that's that's where it's changed the most isn't it you know that's that's the thing I mean there's been changes in midfield and up front too but and and some of it is definitely experimenting but I feel like it's a little from column A a little from column B you know yeah so look one part of this will be decided against uh, Stoke in a way so if he brings Falcao back in and plays 
Van Persie Falcao and Rooney, he will have effectively unnecessarily changed the balance of the United's attack. And it will completely change the balance of United's attack. And so that will be one change which is not forced upon him. So I, I guess what I'm saying is there is quite a lot of change being forced in by Van Hal that isn't the result of injuries. Absolutely. Is the result of tactical tinkering, him trying to find his best formation, best balance between the sides, uh, between the players he's got for the side. Um, the fact that he, he uh, asked Van Persie to play in a deeper role and, and Rooney and Di Maria out front was another sign of that. It's got nothing to do with United's defensive makeup against Hull. That's all about him trying to work out what's best for him. So it, we're, you know, we're six months into to Van Hal and I don't know the point when we'll find the the right balance between attack and defence or Van Hal will find the right balance and we'll clearly see what this philosophy is so you know much better momentum from United much better performances but I still don't know what it is that he's trying to achieve with this United side you know is it a side that plays on the break is it a side that's defensively solid and uses um, attacking players and all their brilliance to to create goals. Is it a side that is about possession, uh, the one against Hull? Is it a side that's going to play three or four at the back in the long term after in- injuries have have dissipated? So I'm not sure there's an obvious answer to all of these. Um, and when when we're at the point where we we know the obvious answers, then then I think we'll be much clearer. I accept that. What about the counter argument that actually it's all of those things that this is the whole point of the whole experiment? It's like that this is what a Vanguard side in 2014 looks like. It's a team that can adapt itself into those different things for those different situations. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying to me the idea that like because we've played a number of different styles of play, that means there's no evidence of the philosophy is. I, th- those two things don't stack up for me because, like, actually, we we have this discussion every week on a podcast at this point. But isn't that indeed what the philosophy is? Isn't this all about training their football intelligence above everything else? But anyway, we'll, we we'll see. So I'd buy that if somehow uh, I didn't have 125 years of football history in my head that says that the best teams have a have a very clear way and style of playing so if you're telling me that Van Gaal is going to create a side that plays a different formation every week and be European champions I just don't buy it I think even from the last 10 years has a distinct and clear way of playing of course there's flexibility is very important so you get adapt to the game and the side that you have in front of you um, in some way or another but the very best ones force others to adapt and so I think United is some way from that and, and Van Gaal is still in experimentation mode. He does not have, when he's got better players and, um, and, and he's challenging for the title and in Europe, uh, this is not going to happen every week, right? So I think this is, a, this is a symptom of Van Gaal not knowing what his best players are and trying to find the best route forward from here. So, you know, you can take that as a criticism if you want. It's, it's more of an observation about what's happening at United at the moment. Uh, United will not be changing between a 3 and a 4 and a 4-4-2 four, four, and a 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one, a diamond and playing wit uh, when Van Gaal is more settled in what he wants from this team. Except occasionally. Uh, I think very rarely, you know, you do not see this from Bayern and Barcelona and Real uh, and and Chelsea and and Paris Saint-Germain. You know they have a clear way of playing. They know what they want and they impose that on other teams. I guess then the cross purpose we're talking about really is the future versus the present and the kind of the fact that so much of what Van Gaal has done has been reactive so far. That there there is a dual 
train going, which there has to be because he has to both build for the future and improve United and get them to be, you know, up there in the discussion with Bayern and Barca and Real and Chelsea at the moment. And yet he also, in order to do that, he has to be successful in the now. And there's a pragmatism to that. It's like the whole thing about the the change to three at the back when Strootman got injured and then actually mid-game a couple of times during the World Cup when when Holland needed something different. He went to 4-3-3 against Mexico and they won that game, you know. That, That pragmatism is part of the philosophy with a capital Pay, you know. Oh, no, I, I think I think this is uh, I think this is conflating two issues here, right? So, so, so I think the the crux of this debate comes down to: Have we seen this philosophy yet? I, I'm saying no because it's completely pragmatic from week to week, and he's still experimenting. And I think we are. Um, it's faith alone that says that there is a clear philosophy that's going to emerge because. Uh, Van Hal has 25 years in European football and, and most of the time he's been able to build very good sides that have a clear philosophy and a, a, a tactical system and an approach and a strategy that you understand, right? So so it's it's based on faith that, not in any evidence whatsoever from the season. I don't see... Uh, I don't see any clear path forward at the moment. I, I couldn't tell you what system uh, Van Hal would be playing if he had everybody fit and would he play every week. So, you know, if you're saying that pragmatism no, is Ed, philosophy, I'm, I'm not... that's, that's kind of flying in the face of A, successful teams over the years and B, Van Hal's 25 years. Except that, that to reduce the, what I'm saying to that is ridiculous because the whole point of what I'm trying to say is that this is not a black and white issue that there is nuance and middle ground in this discussion you know and that's what I'm trying to say and and actually I would argue there has been evidence of what he would like to do in the future and whole it was a practice match right essentially in terms of the quality of the opposition but part of that was down to the fact that they were completely demoralized by the fact they could never get the ball you know there have been moments when generally when his best players have been available where actually united have put some extremely good football together the leicester game like it's a long time ago now but the first half against leicester we played as attractive football as we've played since whenever you know since like since we were winning trebles and stuff you know and and it is all a work in progress but for me it's not just taken on faith it's a combination of faith and the uh the early stages of a bit of evidence and also it's not faith when it's based on uh actual things that have really happened you know i mean faith is inherently about the unseen but van Gaal has succeeded time and time again like there's been times when he hasn't but he also you know he has an incredible track record of success in a huge variety of different circumstances so it's not just faith to say that then he can then apply that at United. Yeah, but it is, because we actually haven't seen it here. So, I, I, look, I guess, uh, I, you know, I take on board everything you're saying there, and I have faith that Van Hull will turn this Manchester United side into something greater than it is now, and, and United's progressing going forward, you know. So, all through some of the difficult months this season, we haven't been very critical of Van Hull, because... You know, we both believe that he's going to build something good at United. And the faith is that over 25 years in European football, he's done that time and time again. I I guess what I'm saying right now is that it's entirely pragmatic, his approach. It changes from week to week. 
there's no obvious pattern to United's play. I mean, you know, went from kicking the ball into the stands against Arsenal and, and playing entirely on the break to, <laughs> to well, you know, which was Mourinho-esque in its entirety. One, United a fantastic game and we were both buzzing afterwards to, to having 77% against, possession against Hull. You know, this is entirely pragmatic. And he's, uh, gone, he's gone from Mourinho to Guardiola in the space of the week. The man's a genius. Well, you know, yeah, for, for maybe, maybe, maybe so, you know. I think United will be a much better side when he works out what what it is will get the best out of the best United players, you know, and fill in for the gaps. And at the moment, he's trying to build sides going from week to week about either maximising United's best players or then being reactive and, and trying to minimise the weaknesses, which is what happened against Arsenal. So, you know, I, at, at some point, I think we'll get there, but I, I'm not sure we're there yet. Yeah, I think we're quite some distance from it. We're definitely not there yet. I'll tell you the biggest thing that I would say, it's like the, the most vanguard thing about this team, Team at the moment is how well some of the players that have not played well for ages are playing, and this is this was the the, the story of Holland in the World Cup. You know, it's the Ron Vlaff effect. Like he's got some very decent performances out of players that were really, really, really struggling beforehand. Like you know, the, and and that is that's very Van Gaalish, isn't it? Mm, no, I agree. So. Nani's been brilliant. <laughs> uh, no, no, wait there, wait there. <laughs> he's slow. Then Nani scored a lot of goals in Europe, but he's not doing very well in the league in Portugal. Anyway, that's can we just all agree not to bring Nani back? Yeah, of course he does have another three and a bit years on his contract, so hmm, he's coming back, he might isn't well be he? Back in. United will have to find a buyer at some point for him. Talking of having to find buyers, uh, interesting news this week that Real Madrid will not be offering United money for uh, Javier Hernandez. So. Hernandez will be back with a year on his contract. You've forgotten he actually existed, yeah. <laughs> literally, literally forgot he existed. Yeah, so United are going to have to try and flog him next summer when he's got a year left on his contract. So that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting. I'm sure we'll find a buyer. Look at his little face, we'll say to them. For a second, I thought you were going to say Real Madrid are not going to offer money to Manchester United for David De Gea. And I was kind of relieved. We, we need to, No, that'll definitely happen. We need to get that boy's contract signed up. There's lots of photos of him looking happy with his Spanish-speaking mates in the dressing room. I'm relying on that at the moment. Mm, yeah. Uh, Real Madrid need a goalkeeper. They need a, lo- a long-term goalkeeper. United are trying to get... Uh, Valdez fit uh, and um, I think there's a, a cash offer coming next summer don't you? I, no I don't think that Yes you do I may, yes, I, I may, be, cho- I may be choosing not to think that but for the moment that's what I'm doing Alright should we do a bunch of questions from the listeners for a minute before we preview the Southampton game afterwards Let's do it uh, At O'Reilly underscore MUFC says would you ever consider doing a YouTube channel? No We've been asked to do stuff in the past, but I think we're uh, we're happy doing podcasts. Uh, yeah, Paul Paul has the face for podcasting. <laughs> massive massive shout out to Divine who came up to me at the back of the Stretford End uh, and said nice things about the podcast on Saturday. Thank you very much for that. Made my day. That and all the goals. At Steve Crab says, can you tell the difference between Sprite and Seven Up? And he boldly claims that he can. Do they still make Seven Up, Ed? I don't know. I haven't drunk either of these two fine beverages for some time. I had uh, half a bottle of Sprite for the first time in a decade or so uh, last summer and they've changed it and it is terrible. I always, I was always a Seven Up kid when I was a kid. Sprite was like a weird drink that you had when you went abroad. Uh, it didn't exist in England when I was growing up. Right. Yeah. Um, ruined our chances of some Sprite sponsorship there, haven't you? <laughs> yes. Sorry. I don't think I'd accept it. 
feel like that's got to be at least partially responsible for the destruction of civilization, doesn't it? It's owned by the Coca-Cola company, right? At Stu underscore 1512 says, do you think any time within the next 25 years, the media will accept that Schneider isn't coming to United? No, no, no. I think when he is long retired and living in a home somewhere, uh, we'll still see Schneider to United rumours. Maybe maybe it'll start turning from... Schneider the player to United to Schneider the coach to United. <laughs> it's got to happen. He definitely, definitely qualifies for some sort of Hall of Fame status at this point. It was beautiful to see the rumours starting again around. Of course, because we've got a Dutch manager, so it's like they've got a new angle for these ridiculous rumours that I suspect probably were once real. That's At Tom Zor asking whether Robin's performance against Hull did enough to justify a start against Stoke, or will we go with El Tigre? I think we've pretty much fallen on the side of uh, Van Persie starting that one, haven't we? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think he, he, he deserves another go, um, if only for the quality of the goal. At Eddie Rose 13 says, was RVP's strike the quickest thing you've ever seen in real life? I don't think it's even the quickest thing I've ever seen from that angle in real life, because Rooney's strike against Newcastle all them years ago might just have him pegged. I don't know. Yeah, but it was classic Robin, wasn't it? Flick it through the defender's legs and then uh, strike all in one go and just hit it so cleanly well I don't think he even flicked it through his legs did he because he did it all on his left foot and he just flicked it to he gave himself less than like a, a quarter of a yard of space on his left foot and that was all he needed wasn't it that's just fine stuff. That, that's Robin of old, and that, that's what we want to see more totally of. Totally brilliant. Absolutely. At Jonas Holmes 21 says, the United team are all contestants on MasterChef. Who would win and who would fail miserably? I've got to say, if there was a level playing field, I would make Juan Mata the heavy favourite to be the like guy that knows how to put little dobs of puree on a plate or whatever it is they do in modern restaurants. You don't think Wazza would uh, have the kind of culinary expertise then? I feel like this is uh, this is very unfair to Captain Wazza, but I was going to single him out as a potential uh, weak spot. But actually, maybe um, maybe he's just about old enough to have had to do some of this stuff for himself. Uh, the kids, I reckon, uh, would be... would. I, I'm not sure the De Silva brothers have ever cooked anything for themselves in their life, have they? No, no, they have quite an entourage. I, I think Wazza's a chips and gravy man myself. Uh, and uh, maybe Maran Fellaini you know he looks like a man who might have a bit of you know cultural nous in there no no maybe not Belgian foodies of course chips and gravy <laughs> given um, given Anderson's uh, shared feelings about oat cuisine and fine dining I think he would probably lose when he turned up with a bag of McDonald's and stuck it on the on the bench there this I go McDonald's <laughs> All right, this is one for you. At Miami Spartan 95 says, is it me or does Rooney's run of form largely coincide with him not playing in the number 10 role? Uh, yeah, well, I think I said that earlier. I think I think that's part of it. I mean, he, he basically played at nine for England twice and has played in between nine and 10 for United over the last three games. So maybe it's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... At Worrying My Sheep says, if you had to buy a second-hand watch from one United player, who would you choose? I feel like I feel like I'm just going for the easy answer every time, but I don't think Juan Mata would lie to you about the quality of a watch. Nor would Her- um, nor would Falcao actually. I think we've got a, a decent bunch of lads there. There's there's some safe watch purchases. You nearly said under Herrera there. Uh, Herrera being the subject of a match fixing inquiry <laughs> at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. Also allegations about his nightlife activity being part of the reason that he stayed out of the side for such a long time. But all that's behind him, and he's a good lad. You can tell by looking at him. Right? You can't, obviously. Yeah. Who would you buy? A second hand watch off 
out of the United squad. I think there's quite a few shifty ones in there. I mean, you, you wouldn't buy one off Marcos Rojo, would you? You know, he looks well, well dodgy. Uh, See, it, this is just tattoo prejudice, this is. It, well, it is. Yeah, you know, fair enough. I, I'm just going to go straight to the stereotypes here. Uh, if there is a man who's more Argentinian than Marcos Rojo, I don't know one. He's he's full. He's uber Argentinian um, as a defender. He's every stereotype of an Argentinian defender that's ever existed, and I love it. It's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought he was pretty good again. Although rating defenders' performances in that game seems a pretty futile activity. Yeah, it, his his real contribution came late in the game when he absolutely thumped Jelovic, didn't he? And uh, went straight through him and the ball and took everything, But uh, which was very good. The thing about trying to buy a second-hand watch off a United player is I'm pretty sure their second-hand, third-hand, fourth-hand and fifth-hand watches are well out of my price range of like £12.50 maximum for a watch, you know. Yes, 12500 might be your, your <laughs> minimum there. Very good. Yeah. All right, so... So, talking of very good, up until their 3-0 defeat on Sunday to City, Southampton's start to the season has been absolutely remarkable. And uh, perhaps uh, it's a good job that someone else is slightly... They, they, they might be a bit low on confidence. We might have a bit of extra confidence, assuming we've done well again in that Stoke game. Uh, how do you see that one going? Well, look, Southampton have been you know, everything everyone didn't expect them to be. Uh, lost all those players over the summer, got a new manager... This was a club in crisis. People were predicting a relegation fight for them. Players who wanted out, who couldn't get out. So everything that pointed towards a disastrous campaign was there. You know, I think people were predicting that Kuman would be one of the first to be sacked, and and none of that has come true. They've played great football. They've been very competitive. They've been fortunate in that they had a good fixture list over the first few weeks so they're able to hit the ground running with that new manager but he's very quickly worked out a a way of playing and they've got some great results you know so the uh, recent result against Manchester City in the big context looks like an aberration we'll see you know is it the wheels coming off finally or were they just particularly bad on this one occasion? Either way, they've they've been really, really good all season and very good at home. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I think it's pretty clear that this is a, a big test of United again because Southampton have been good. And, and the fact that hopefully we will be going on. And this is why the Stoke game is so important, right? Because... If we win that Stoke game, even if we do slip up against Southampton, which there isn't necessarily any reason we should do, because at our best, we're better than their best, right? That's I think that's still the case. So in a way, it's an even more crucial time for Southampton than it is for United. I mean, we said it's a crucial time for United trying to build some momentum, but the opposite is happening at Southampton. So City, Arsenal on Wednesday night, United three defeats on the, on the spin, and everyone will be saying that, that Southampton's good run over... And as I mentioned, they had had quite a you know a decent sort of start to the season in terms of the types of fixtures they had. So it's important for them. They they will they need something out of that Arsenal game and they need something out of this United game. Absolutely, and uh, let's hope that they don't get it. I mean, I wonder whether we would even maybe see the three at the back again, but I, it depends on injuries <laughs> and stuff between now and then. I think. If he has his way, it will be a similar formation than we saw against Hull for both of the next two games. And and some of that will all depend on performances and training and all that kind of malarkey. And trying to predict two games ahead is tricky, but we're going to have to face a, a lot of, you know, Southampton have, have, have had a really, really tight defence and finding ways to unlock that's going to be crucial. Although they're defending 
absolutely fell apart when they went a goal behind against City. It was remarkable. The the space that Frank Lampard had for his goal in that game uh, was... Uh, we, we'll just have to very much hope they leave under Herrera in that much space because I think then we'll be all right. So I guess we need to do predictions, right? Let's uh, let's predict what's going to happen against Stoke first. Have you got a scoreline in mind for that one? Yeah, so I think it'll be competitive and I'm going to say a 3-1 victory for United. Okay, that sounds good. I will go 2-0 to United. And against Southampton? Well, yeah, interesting one, this one. So, you know, which which Southampton turns up the one we've had all season or the one that was uh, pretty awful against uh, Manchester City. So I think, you know, Southampton are well-balanced as a side. They'll probably match up with United in terms of tactics. So they, they play 4-3-3 a lot. Southampton, uh, though, you know, Tadic and Mane, who've typically been playing in wide areas, can certainly fill in in midfield so they can make a five in there or a three in there as, as they want um, so I think they'll be very competitive so I'm going to go for a one-all draw okay I think that sounds really reasonable and and I think that's I was kind of thinking of going for a Southampton win really because we would then if we beat Stoke that would be four wins on the bounce and five wins on the bounce feels too good to be true at the moment but no what the hell 2-1 United come on you Reds you can do it we're going to record a podcast uh, again after that Southampton game and it will come out in the week before the Liverpool game boo but if you want to get hold of us in the meantime you can get me at UTD Rantcast and Ed at United Rant on Twitter get us both on facebook.com slash United Rant and read Ed's stuff at unitedrant.co.uk and my stuff on the Bleach Report and if you have got the time to to, uh, write us a little review on iTunes that would be super helpful so thank you very much indeed and with that Ed have a lovely week and a bit I, I certainly will yeah I, I'm back in the country next weekend which is uh, you know very good and all that so I'll be finding a bar in Seattle to watch United's game against Stoke on Tuesday it shouldn't be a problem quite a few uh, expats around these parts and um uh, in the meantime, let's let's hope United get a couple of wins. I, I think it's a tough game against Southampton next Monday, but uh, you never know. Momentum is building. And hey, Ed, enjoy those sounders. USA, USA. <laughs>